0: Over the last while, I've, uh, I, I've caught myself thinking, well, I, I've probably done this for four years already. Um, here, I do this basically everywhere I go. I ask questions like, what's the point? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? Why am I going here? Why am I going there? And, um, and so this is sort of what I've come up with. Something I find myself thinking about regularly is what makes Fire Winnipeg a place to call home for Jen, and my, for Jen and me. You know what I keep coming back to? Lots of people might say it's a place for community, it's a place for love, and and all of those things. And I think that that is absolutely true. And we want to engage that. We absolutely want to be a place of love. We want to be a place that's compelling. That engages in community outside as well as community inside. And uh, that's wonderful. And there's more. And for me, there's definitely more. There's got to be something more because you can get community just about anywhere, right? And you can get love just about anywhere. But there was something that made Catch the Fire Winnipeg unique for, for me. What, it, what makes it unique or special for you may not be the same for me. And so I'm just going to go ahead and give you license to be free to believe what you want and live the way you want and whatever in, that, in, in, in this way. Um, we're free to be who we are. In Catch Fire, Winnipeg, you're free to be who you are. And I hadn't experienced that in church before. I actually remember being taught uh, to read my Bible and believe everything that it said. And then as soon as I started believing everything that it said, it put me in... in uh, in negative situations with church leadership in the past, not here, <laughs> but it, some somebody's having an encounter. <laughs> and uh, when it came to Catch Fire, I didn't recognize the power of what was going to happen. Went, and this is kind of—I'm just going to throw it out here. Here at Catch Fire, I'm encouraged to encounter the life-transforming presence of God. Encountering the tangibleness of God and all that on all of heaven is a high value here. At Catch Fire Winnipeg, we are not afraid to embrace all that God chooses to share with us, whether it be angels and saints, heavenly beings, seven spirits of God, new sounds and smells, they're all welcome. We know that we are truly that there truly is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. We have learned that we can breathe underwater in that river. We have encountered and experienced the tangible presence of God's love in the form of a comforting blanket over all of us. We've had angels join us in singing praises, uh, praises to God, and they were heard audibly by people in the congregation. We've had the keyboard played with nobody standing at the keyboard. These things have actually transpired. We have been called the place where miracles happen. So what is Catch the Fire Winnipeg to me? She is a lampstand shining bright for all those in our region who desire to encounter the very real presence of God so that they will be transformed forever. Because once you've encountered Him, everything changes. And so that's why Catch the Fire Winnipeg for Ken and Jen. Encounter. Here we can encounter. And so this morning, I'm going to encourage you to join me in continuing the encounter. Because guess what? Without encounter, what is there? Like really, if you're not encountering Jesus, if you're not encountering Holy Spirit, if you're not encountering the Father, what are you encountering? Certainly you're not here to encounter Ken Haslam in a bunch of words. If you are... You may be sorely disappointed, but if you're here to encounter the life-transforming presence of God Himself, then you will not leave disappointed, because that is one of our absolute highest values. So this morning, I encourage you again to enter in with me as we engage with all of heaven. And I remember I remember going through a season where we were encountering, all kinds of strange things, and I would I would call Keith up, or I, like some of you may may not remember uh, Keith Miners. I would call him up, or I'd text him, and I'd be like, "What is happening? I feel like something snapped in my brain, and things are just crazy. This, I'm happening. This is happening. That's happening. I remember there was this glory cloud. I was uh, reading my Bible in a recliner, and I was just sitting there, and something happened over me. I saw this cloud. So, whether it was in my mind's eye, whether it was in the spirit or in the natural, I can't really tell you. I only know that these things happened. And so I quickly texted Keith because I was quite afraid. It, this opening kind of opened, and then I just got this word, counsel, but I didn't quite know what it meant, you know, because like, if it happened to you, how would you respond? Right? Be like, oh, yeah, that's pretty natural. I was encountering this, this counsel. And Keith said to me, in good pastorly form, do you have any sin in your life? And thankfully that day, I could say, nope, not today. Today, <laughs>, today, I'm good. Right? How many of you have done that? Like, you, you actually could keep track. Okay, today actually, I'm, I'm doing really good today. Right? And I said, nope, nope, it wasn't that, it wasn't that. And so we went through it, and he said, well, I don't know, just go ahead and engage. So he gave me license to engage, and, and I sort of gave myself permission somehow. And then at that moment, an arm reached down and turned my Bible page. And I would guess, at that point, I said, I guess things are shifting. <laughs> There's a new page turning. So we engage God fully with expectation that He is real and chooses to manifest in multiple forms in many ways to get points across. To help us to recognize our sonship, that who we are in Him, needs to transcend our own concept of who we are. And so, I want to invite you into into a love story, recognizing that the love of God is so absolutely far beyond anything we can possibly comprehend or understand that it's going to sound supernatural. It is going to sound a little out there, and it's going to be somewhat controversial to some people because that's what the love of Christ is. It is a controversial topic. It is a controversial reality because His love forgives everything. The transaction that took place on the cross forgives everything. Everything. For everyone. That's pretty controversial. Even in our own lives. Well, surely I must pay the, the penance, the price for this or for that. And I carry guilt or guilt carry shame. And and I hold on to it and I'm like, oh, I've got to work my way through this and somehow absolve myself of this. But you've already been absolved. And that's the reality. You've already been absolved of the sin. You have This has already taken place for you. You couldn't do it for yourself. I couldn't do it for myself. And that's the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ. Is that he... That He recognized the need, and he was like, hey, let me take care of this for you, because I love you. And so today's topic really is about the love of God manifesting in our lives in multiple ways. I love it. So, in this journey of encountering, suddenly Keith came up with, hey man, we're living, well, he didn't say hey man, I added the hey man. Right then? No, that's Scottish. I can't do his, his English. It's a weird English. It's a good English, but, you know, I can't, can't quite nail it down. But either way, he reminded us that we are actually in Hebrews 12. So whenever we're going through encounter, whenever you experience and some strange phenomenon or encounter, recognize that God is absolutely willing to reveal to you where in the Bible you happen to be walking during this time. And so he showed to us that we were walking through Hebrews 12 and i was like okay help me to understand what you're talking about so i just read it hebrews 12:22 to 24 makes it very clear that we have come to mount zion the city, city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem well that's fantastic woohoo exciting times but that doesn't necessarily mean that anything changes it doesn't feel like there's a change i'm not reading something you know it's some ethereal thing But I kept reading. We have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. I guess that kind of looks like something. Because joyful assembly doesn't look like a somber assembly. Joyful assembly looks like laughter and peace and happiness and giddiness and drunkenness. And it looks like all of these wonderful things. And I remember, okay, well, how... how, Help me, God, understand what joyfulness looks like. What does joy look like? And he reminds me, hey, man, remember that time when I kind of just flooded the room with my spirit and there was, like, fire everywhere and people were talking all kinds of weird languages and Peter went outside and the whole crowd of people was there thinking, man, these guys are nuts. They must be drunk. And Peter said, no, 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 no. For these are not drunk, as some of you suppose. It's only 9 a.m. It's only 9 a.m. How could they possibly be drunk? Now, today, now... We could say, "Well, they're drunk because they've been drinking all night," <laughs> but back then that wouldn't have been the case. They were speaking in different languages. They were like, like, like. Just think of what that drunkenness would have looked like. It's just spilling over. They th- like the people really thought that it looked like drunkenness. That's pretty spectacular, and some of us would be offended at that. Certainly. I certainly was offended at it in 2008. In fact, I encountered one of the very people that comes here regularly that I'm very close to now that I wasn't so close to then because he was always in this weird, drunken stupor. And I was always on my knees, fervently praying. And here he was laughing and joyfully. I was like, I've got to leave. Does this guy not know the seriousness of what is happening? But joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business. Wow, I thought fervent prayer was the serious business of heaven. No. Joy. All right. So joyful assembly with angels. Okay, so I guess I can have the expectation that if the Bible tells me it's true, right? Is the Bible true or is it not true? It's true. Okay, so we, we have a consensus. It's true. So therefore, this statement is also true that we have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, we have come to God, judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, those are the saints, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, so we can experience Jesus, and the sprinkled blood that testifies or speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And we could go into that at some other point, The talking about how Abel's blood, the spilled blood of Abel, even though he was murdered, was actually a prophetic Word, a prophetic sign of good things to come because it was a man of faith and all these things. We can go into that another day. But the point is that we have come. We are not coming to. It isn't a future event, even though it is a future event. It's also, it's a future present. You are coming to. You have come. I love it. Oh man, that just gets me. So that's where we're at, and that's what I'm inviting you to encounter. Don't be afraid to encounter angels and saints and living creatures that have lion's head, ox's head, eagle, man. Can you imagine some, like, imagine some of these guys who, he, they didn't read it in their Bible. They didn't read it in their scripture. Ezekiel, you know, seeing all, he's a wheel inside a wheel. Where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the scripture before Ezekiel wrote it down? It's not there. So some of the things that you're going to encounter, guess what? They may not actually be in there yet in the Word. But the Spirit of God who transcends our understanding is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the very things, the very character of God, the very nature of God will reveal Himself in everything that you will encounter if it's truly Him. And so God and I have a deal. I'm not allowed to, and, uh, I'm not allowed to have an encounter unless Holy Spirit or Jesus themselves presents themselves and takes me in. And that's a really safe place to be. Okay? And you know your heart. You know what you're going after. I know, like, we were talking this morning about having a hunger, this growing hunger inside of you. How many of you are dissatisfied to some extent with where you are spiritually? Where you are in your life, with God, in ministry, in your job, whatever. There's this dissatisfaction. Some people might find that a place of discouragement, and I'm going to let you know that you can turn that around. recognize it's actually an encouraging place. It's an encouraging moment in your life when you recognize, man, I'm hungry. I'm not satisfied. You shouldn't be satisfied. Absolutely not. Let me ask you, when was the last time you raised the dead? If you're not raising the dead today, you shouldn't be satisfied. When was the last time you walked on water or walked through walls or had glory dust fall during one of your meetings? You know, when was the last time 3,000 people gathered and heard and accepted Christ while you just shared a word that was on your heart? These are things that need to just manifest in your life because of the presence of God in you, with you, around you. And, when, and I can promise that when you make God your sole focus, when you make entering and being in encounter with Him your sole focus in your spiritual walk, Not thinking about, well, I need to understand what this particular word here in the Bible means, agape. Agape means blah, 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 blah. That's great. We do need that from time to time. We do need to understand Hebrew from time to time. We do need to understand Greek from time to time. But what you need to understand more is who God is, who He is, who the Father is. When you understand the identity of the Father, I'm going to give you something. That's when you begin to understand the identity of you. And so today we're going to be talking about your identity my identity as a son of the most glorious king, the greatest God, he's a spectacular, he is a wonder, and he's made you in his very image. So that makes you spectacular. That makes you a wonder. Isn't that great? So if you're dissatisfied, praise God. I want you to be dissatisfied. I want you to surrender more. God is asking us to surrender, not strive more. Man, You here's the deal. Like when Jesus was getting ready, this is the greatest thing. He didn't go, okay, God, come to me now. Open up the floodgates of heaven. Pour it all out on me. Show the people the magnificence of your splendor. No, this is what I remember about Jesus. That while everybody else was sleeping, in the place he was sleeping, He got up and went to a solitary place to be with the Lord. He went to a solitary place. So God, in human form, Jesus, decided to get up in the middle of the night while everyone else was sleeping. When he was also asleep, chose to wake up, get up, leave where he was, go to a solitary place to be with the Father. Do you know what happens after those encounters? That's when the feeding of the 5,000 happens. When he comes down from the mountaintop, after, after the feeding, he goes up to the mountaintop and he sends his guys across the lake. He says, okay guys, I'll meet you on the other side. Strange that they didn't ask him how he was going to get there. But it was after those mountaintop experiences, like being alone with God being in the presence of his Father, recognizing that this union, this relationship, had to be the foremost thing that he went after, the, the thing that he prioritized above all other things, so that he could see what his Father was doing, so that he, that he might do likewise. It was after those times that he would walk on the water. It's after those times, those powerful times, in the presence of God Himself, That he would heal the sick. That he would raise the dead. That he would cleanse the leper. That he would operate out of absolute compassion. So what does that tell us? That tells us that if we want these things manifested in our lives, if we want the hunger to be sated or satiated in our lives, then what we need to do is pursue encounter with God himself. That's what we need to pursue. And it will transform us. It will change us. When you hunger for nothing more than his absolute life-giving presence, your life is going to change. It'll change. He does not dissatisfy. Oh, yeah. One of the many things that I've asked myself along this journey in the faith, so this is where things might get a little sketchy for you, but it's okay. If you don't agree with me, you don't have to agree with me. You are totally powerful and free to have a different opinion than me and to ask different kinds of questions than me. But these are some of the kind of questions I ask myself. What would be left? What would we be left with as, as a Christian culture if we remove the concept of eternal punishment or hell from Christian thoughts and speech? Would there still be anything left in our conversation with the world that would cause them to want to accept Jesus Christ? Would we still choose to do right by another Would we choose to do right by ourselves without the fear of punishment? Because what is punishment if not a punitive measure of retribution for the one who was wronged? Just to kind of break it down. What if fear was removed? The fear of consequence was removed. Would we still have a conversation piece with the rest of society? Or is it the foremost thought that, hey man, everybody's going to hell and so therefore we've got a message to preach? That's actually not what the scripture teaches. I love asking myself those questions. Romans 2 verse 4 says this. Or do you have no regard for the wealth of His kindness and tolerance and patience in withholding His wrath? Are you actually unaware or ignorant of the fact that God's kindness leads you to repentance? That is to change your inner self, your old ways of thinking, to seek His purpose of your life. That is a really powerful statement there. And what ties together with that is this little this little portion of Scripture. Sorry, I, I can't remember exactly where it is. But it goes a lot like this. For God showed His kindness, or His loving, no, for God showed, basically, he, <laughs> he showed me His love in this. That while I was still sinning, Christ died for me. While I was still sinning, while I was still living in sin, Christ died for me. Not because one day I was going to do different. He showed His kindness to me. He showed His love to me in this. That while I was still sinning, Christ died for me. So the world needs to know that while they are still sinning, Christ died for them. While they're still sinning. Not judgment. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. I think that's a fairly significant message. So then I ask myself the question, okay, so if I do take hell out of my speech, what's left? Well, love is left. Love is a pretty compelling reason to change your life. Love is a pretty compelling reason to turn towards something right i want to move towards something i want my life to mean something i want like it's got to attract me and so love is a very attractive offer especially when he paid the price and so what does his loving kindness leads to repentance really mean well for me and maybe for you when we experience some form of the sense of god's love for us When we recognize the chasm that we have imagined between him and us, remember that nothing separates us from the love of God. But we have this concept that there's this chasm between us. When I recognize, wow, why would he do that? We were talking about it just just a few moments ago. Here's this God-like person, Jesus himself, God in the flesh, in full union, in full comprehension of the union between him and the Father and Spirit, also is the same one who is in the garden of Gethsemane travailing. And at both times, like, I'm sorry, at that one time, he's very, very, very aware of the fullness of God in him and his full sonship, and he was still travailing. That, to me, is, a, is like, we can't, we can't grasp that. Because sometimes we're just like, well, God seems so distant. Jesus knew God wasn't distant. Right? He he just would never have questioned, well, God's like far from me, or is he even real? or Why is this happening to me? There wasn't a question, why is this happening to me? God was very present, and for Jesus to be experiencing both at the same time, I can only say is love. Like, he travailed because of love. He endured because of love. It was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. That's why. Guess what? I've shared this before. You are the joy that was set before Him. You are the reason He endured the cross. Because He knew that you would not have to. He knew you would not have to pay the price for the sin that's, that entraps so many and, and so often. You wouldn't have to do it. He was going to do it. And because of that, He could spend eternity with you. That's pretty spectacular. Right? Right? That's pretty spectacular. What, what was in it for Jesus? Right? What was, the, what was the transaction taking place? He could be with you for the rest of eternity. I think that's a pretty good trade-off. Right? He gets to spend time with you. Yeah, we get to spend time with him. And he gets, the time, he gets to spend time with you. Like forever. So Hebrews 12, 25 says this in the, in the Hebrew, uh, sorry, in the mirror Bible. And it makes things so clear. If Jesus is the crescendo of God's final message to mankind, you cannot afford to politely excuse yourself from this conversation. Consider the prominent place that Moses plays in the history of Israel. If you think that Moses or any of the prophets who spoke with authority on earth deserve honour, then how much more should this word that God declared from heaven concerning our sonship and our redeemed innocence revealed in Messiah himself deserve our undivided attention? So this, this verse is coming right after, hey, you, this is where you've come to. You've come to Mount Zion. You've come out of this stuff. You've come to Mount Zion. You've come to, right? I've read that earlier. And then he goes on to say, how much more should you spend undivided attention focusing on the reality of your sonship in him? All of the other messages that have ever been spoken, kind of get trumped, if you will, by the message of Christ bringing you into sonship, bringing you into wholeness. It's where you've been placed, right? That transaction is a big, big deal. Ephesians 2, 1-10, to and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived, we too, all of us, lived among the among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts by the nature we or and by nature we were children under wrath, as the others were also. But God. But God, who is abundant in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah even though we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive, even though we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive. We didn't make ourselves alive. Do you know that I never prayed the sinner's prayer? And somehow, I'm still saved. How does that happen? How could it be that in all of Christendom, nobody told me the prayer, the secret words, if you will, That helped me to enter into all glory. Well, because there are no no such words. It is Jesus Christ himself who brings me into that place. It is Jesus Christ himself who chose to save me. My decisions don't trump his decision. Because I'm not God of myself. I'm not God over my life. God is God. And he chose out of his loving kindness, out of his mercy to save me. I think that's pretty spectacular news. It's very there's huge, as as a famous white-haired old man would say, there's huge implications to what I just said. Because of his great mercy that he had for us, he made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in our trespasses. By grace you were saved. He also raised us up. I love this part. Who doesn't love a God who creates you, lets you do your own thing? You know, there's this, quote-unquote, separation between us. So he's like, okay, well, here's a bunch of laws. Try to live up to them. You're going to find out you you can't. And so therefore, now I'm going to send my son to show you that it's only by grace, it's only by my might, that my spirit, my love, that you're going to be saved. And so Jesus came down. Jesus, like, turned, like, he gave everything up in all of heaven. None of us has known the glory like Jesus has known the glory. None of us have made that kind of a sacrifice, None of us. And he sacrificed himself, and he came down, and he was born in the form of a baby. That's pretty trusting. I get asked, well, how come he didn't come as an adult? I don't know. I don't know anybody who's been born as an adult. That should be funny, actually. (laughs) That was my way of kind of chilling out. So he was born as a baby. He rose. He grew. He got older. And in that growing, he loved us. He reached out to us. He touched us. He hugged us. He embraced us. He healed us. He elevated us. He gave us honor. He gave us respect. He tore down the walls that separate us. He took away all of the titles. He took it all away. So that it was just you and me and him and we are. His prayer is that we would be one. Not that we'd be a grouping of people who all gather together. No, that we would be one. One. As He and the Father are one. No separation. That was His prayer. So He came. He died. He was crucified for our sins. Okay, there was quite the transaction that took place. He paid the price for us. Then He was buried. Then He rose Himself. He raised himself from the grave. Pretty spectacular. And I've shared this before. That many people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and enter into a loving relationship with him because of that transaction. But not only that transaction, but what happens after. That when he ascended, we ascended with him. Okay? We ascended with him. How do I know that? Because currently, right now, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He wasn't content to leave us where we were. He wasn't content to just say, okay, here you go. I've paid for your sins. Now go and sin no more. That's not what he said. That's not what happened. There was a great transaction that took place. And now, because of that transaction, because of what Jesus actually did, we are now seated in heavenly places In Christ Jesus. We'll go back here. By grace you received, he also raised us up with him and seated us in the the heavens. In Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches through faith. And this not from works, so that no one could boast. So why did he seat us in heavenly places? He seated us in heavenly places so that he could display his immeasurable riches of his grace in the kindness of in His kindness to us in Jesus Christ. That's why. There's a reason. We're seated in heavenly places right now so that His innumerous, His absolutely immeasurable kindness and love can be displayed in your life. In your life. Well, it sure didn't happen this week. It's a pretty miserable week this week. My finances, this is... Absolute sarcasm. This did not happen to me. I'm not forecasting this, okay? I'm just making a line right here. This is just a story. For example, for everybody out there in the spirit realm who might be listening, this is not going to come to pass. But, oh, what a woeful week it was for me. You know, it was too hot. I sweat too much. Then there wasn't cold water. There was only warm water. And the hot tub wasn't working. And I stubbed my toe numerous times, oh, woe is me. We all have opportunity to do the woe is me, all of us. And in that moment, if we can catch ourselves, we get, hey, 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 hold on, hold on. That's my old way of thinking. That is the unsanctified section of my brain, if you will. I don't actually believe that the, that is the case. But there's there's an old pattern of thought there that Jesus came to nullify. Because here's the new thought. Here's the reality. The reality is that I am now currently seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that His immeasurable kindness can be displayed in my life. That is the reason. And so when I have the woe is me moment, I can just, you know, As an adult, as a mature son, not as a child, but this actually takes discipline. It takes maturity to go ahead and engage this, because it's with intention, right? We know that as mature people that we do things out of intention. You know, something's difficult, but we press in. We press on. We move through it, right? That's a mature place. We don't allow ourselves to be overcome or stuck in that situation, right? Because it's difficult. If something's difficult, we still need to move through it. It's just the reality of life. Right? That's true. And it's, and it's a good thing to grow up and to mature through difficult circumstances and recognize at the same time that, okay, I'm now going to act out of maturity and, and, and self-discipline and I'm going to go, okay, I've got a decision to make. Either I can continue to think the way the old me would like to think or I can choose to think out of a new place. And I want, to, I want to choose the new place. I want to choose the place that says, I have been created for His loving kindness to be displayed in my life. Wow. Alright. So then I want to open myself up to that very thing. I want to be receptive to that very thing. For the loving kindness of God to be displayed in my life. Well, how can I do that? Here's a tangible. This is a very practical thing I'm going to give you. I'm going to offer you this one practical step. Try being grateful. Show some gratitude, right? Gratitude goes a very long way. I can be grateful that because of what somebody else, who never met me in the flesh, quote unquote, did for me. He chose to die for me. He chose to raise, rise for me, and he chose to ascend for me with me, and taking me up. That's his decision. He chose that. And out of that love, I can boast. I can boast of my God who loves me so much. That he absolutely chooses to not allow anything to come between him and me. Nothing. Including my own attitude. Including my own thought process. Nothing. My own beliefs don't separate me from him. They don't. It's fantastic. I can just be Ken in in whatever form Ken shows up. And God's like, man, I'm just so happy to love you. I'm so happy to display my love and kindness towards you. In fact, while you're being miserable, allow me to show you some kindness. Allow me to show you some love. I remember some of the deepest places of, of hurt and pain that I was going through. And somebody, my mother-in-law in fact, showed me loving kindness. And now this wouldn't necessarily seem like loving kindness to you. But she, all she did was offer me a piece of toast. But I was so broken at that very moment. I did not believe I deserved to have her make me a piece of toast. And I broke down and wept and left the room. But God's loving kindness in your deepest, darkest place chooses to shine through and say, I've got a hope for you. And I've got hope for this world. I am the hope of glory. I am. That's Jesus saying it, right? So that's what we have to offer. We have, the, we have this wonderful hope of glory Deep, deep within us who's just bursting to come out. is like, come on, man. Let me be on display. Let me show you the wonder. Let me show you the glory. Allow me to love the people around you. Allow me to raise them up. Allow me to cleanse the leper. Allow me to heal the sick. Allow me, allow me, allow me to overflow you, overfill you with the love that I have poured out my entire life for. And we can make that decision. We don't have to strive to enter that stuff. It's already all over you. You know what you gotta strive to do? Shut up. (laughs) Right? Change the tapes in your head. Just draw it back and recognize this is what God says about me. This is what God says about my, my situation. This is what God says about provision. This is what God says about healing. This is what God says. God says, God says. His church will not fall. It will not crumble to the pressures of the, of the outside world. It's just not going to happen. Okay? That's just the truth. And man tries so hard to get in the way of that. And God's like, I still love you. I do. You can't separate yourself from my love. Like it just, I'm just, a, God say, I'm just an attractive guy. I'm going to draw you in. God loves to woo us in. He loves to woo everybody outside those doors into himself. And help them come to the full recognition of who they are. Not because of what they've done, but because of what he has done. I love it. For by grace you were saved through faith, and this not from works so that no one could boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Help me to understand who was not created for good works. You may encounter some people today. You're just, you leave church today. Everything's great. You start driving into some construction zone. And then you start getting a little bit... And then somebody's like inching their way in. You're not giving them space because you've got the right of way. They're not doing the zipper transition or whatever it's called. My wife seems to be afraid I'm going to hit the drink again. <laughs> And in that moment where somebody kind of nudges their way in, you have an opportunity. That person was made for good works. And the good work they are doing right now is helping me to be grateful for the love of God in my life. Right? That can be displayed in the loving kindness I am now going to give to this person by applying the break and allowing them in. Right? It's just practical, easy stuff. Like it's tangible things that we can do we have the opportunity to allow God to bolster our faith and show love and kindness to other people through us. Because we were created for good works and so was everybody else. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of Of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of your loving kindness in my life, Lord, my lips will praise you. That's a a decision. It's an intentional engagement with a truth. It is because of his loving kindness. Right? Psalm 63 verse 3. Because your loving kindness is better than life. Man, what do we need to do to enter into that? Like to recognize that that's where we're seated. We're seated in this place of love, of compassion, of mercy, of gentleness, of greatness. We're just seated right inside of Him. And we can choose to engage that reality and have this become the truth of our life, of our daily existence. That his loving kindness is better than life. I would rather drink from that cup than my own. Oh, Lord God, that I would be so beside myself that I wouldn't even recognize myself, but only recognize the light of you in me, the goodness of Christ. Because that is what the world needs. The world needs you in full display of God's loving kindness in your life. I'm going to bring it into a close with Colossians 3, 5 to 11. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. Let me say that again. His resurrection is your resurrection too. And this is why we are to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, all honor, and all authority. Yes, Feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of this natural realm. Raise your hands if you've ever been distracted by this natural realm. Wow, really? So most of you totally never been distracted. Just constantly living in the realities of heaven. I want to hang out with you regularly because I'm often distracted. Right? I can make a mistake in cutting a counting a countertop and and I'll be like, This is so a distraction in this natural realm <laughs> that I'm not recognizing the reality of the kingdom in which I live. Right? Again, discipline. It's a disciplining, it's a disciplining, it's intentionally engaging. Right? It's an it's an intentional way of living. That's why we yearn for all that is above. Mm, I love it. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts. You engage. Don't ask me to engage, God says. You do it. Fill your thoughts. That's what He tells tells us to do. Fill your thoughts. No, not, not this whole fill my thoughts, Lord. No, He says you fill them. Fill your thoughts with heavenly realities, the realities, plural, of heaven, multiple realities. Do it. It's, it's, it's a command. Make it, make it happen. And not with the distractions of this natural realm. So you're choosing that realm over this. Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tide of this life, and now your true life is hidden away in God in Christ. And as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed. So the more you find yourself wrapped up in the love of God, And have Him revealed in your life. You too will also become more revealed. As the glorious Son of God that He created. Right? To bring divine order through. To bring purpose through. To bring love to the world through. And how can we go ahead and do that? Live as one who has died to every form of sexual sin and impurity. Live as one who died to disease and desires for forbidden things, including the desire for wealth, which is the essence of idol worship. When you live in these vices, you ignite the anger of God against these acts of disobedience. That's how you once behaved, characterized by your evil deeds. But now it's time to eliminate them from your lives, once and for all. Anger, fits of rage... All forms of hatred, cursing, filthy speech, and lying. Lay aside your old Adam self with its masquerade and disguise. For you have now acquired the new creation. Which is continually being renewed into the likeness of of the one who created you. Giving you the full revelation of God. In this new creation life, your nationality makes no difference. Your ethnicity, education, economic status... They matter nothing, for it is Christ that means everything, and He lives in every one of us. Christ is the one that matters, and He lives in every single one of us. So you're not a slave. You're not, it's not about male, female, white, black, brown, yellow, whatever, like, I try to hit all of those colors in a year, okay? Personally, I try to. Nail all of them in winter, I'm kind of more of a yellowish green and, and move towards brown in the summer. That's humor. You can all laugh. Courtesy laughing is okay. Jen knows that. Christ is what matters. Christ. In Christ, you are the wealthiest of the wealthy. In Christ, you are healed. In Christ you are set free. In Christ, you are redeemed. In Christ, you are powerful. In Christ, nothing but nobody can stop you. Nothing but nobody can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. No one, including you, because you're enraptured in His love and kindness. And it's a beautiful gift of God that He gives to us.